0: Complete Tech. Heads. Welcome running baby. Complete Tech. Heads. Welcome, running, baby. Complete heads. welcome running baby. Complete Tech. Welcome running baby. Complete Tech. Welcome running baby. Hello friends and welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me your pal Tom Edwards. So this week we are talking crypto. The Bitcoin ETF specifically and Lots of other conversation around the subject of cryptocurrencies in general, and I'm speaking with Jack Gier, who is the head of crypto at a company called Unlimit. I'll give him a full introduction in the show, which you'll hear just in just a minute. But first, before that, I just wanted to let you know about a few things that we've got coming up. So I've got a guest called Rowley Partinen joining me, who is going to be talking about new nuclear. So we're going to be talking about nuclear energy and all of the exciting and wild developments that have been happening in that space. I'll also be speaking with Alex Zavoronkov, who is a PhD and expert in biotechnology and biophysics and has pioneered many initiatives to improve and extend health span. So for those of you that are into the longevity stuff, I think Alex is going to be a super awesome guest as well. So I hope you'll stick with me. On this week's show you will notice I'm sure when it kicks in that my voice has some echo on it uh, so it sounds a little bit like I'm talking from down a well unfortunately this is because my lovely wife knocked over the microphone uh, onto the floor of our office and then I picked it up and put it back to where it usually sits without checking the dials so this is a very very schoolboy error on my part and the microphone itself has a little echo dial and so on its way down to the floor the echo has been turned on slightly and then it has not been turned off by me and I have not tested the sound before going live which of course is something of a schoolboy error so I apologize it's hopefully not too annoying but if it is then sorry anyway without further delay I would love to introduce you all to the magnificent Jack Gia. Complete if you are interested in extending your own healthy lifespan, then I can't recommend this week's partners enough. DoNotAge.org is a company dedicated to helping people like you and me extend their health span through supplementation. On the website, you can check out all of the different supplements that they sell accompanied by a whole section on the science behind them. You can read the links on where they've got their research from, check out the team that's working on it, and of course pick up those all-important supplements for yourself. So go to the site and use the code CTH for a 10% discount. You can also find the link in the description for this show. Complete Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, Tom Edwards. And today we are talking cryptocurrency, a super interesting subject that I have not had the chance to cover yet. So very, very excited to meet this week's guest, who is Jack Gier, the head of Unlimit Crypto. Jack's been working in the crypto space for the last 10 years. He was the first employee at Wire a first-generation fiat on-ramp that helped wallet users to onboard fiat into crypto. He also had a stint at Consensus, leading go-to-market for Metamask Institution and as head of BD for Infura. He now returns to payments as the head of crypto at an established payment company in Unlimit.com. So we'll hear all about Unlimit.com a little bit later. But first of all, hello, Jack. How are you doing?
1: Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Tom.
0: No problem. Great to have you on. Um, And super excited to talk all things crypto. As you know, I want to talk to you about the Bitcoin ETF. But before I do, I'd love to get just a bit of a background to you. Like, how did you find yourself working in the crypto space? And like what kind of attracted you to the exciting world of cryptocurrencies?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You know, I think uh, I was part of the crowd that kind of got incepted at one of these Thanksgiving dinners, right? And the Thanksgiving dinner happened to be in 2013, right? 2013, uh, you know, was, you know, pretty early, I guess, at the height of the bull run at the time. And, you know, I was just mm. uh, talking to like a private equity fund manager uh, that was from Hong Kong. And he was telling me about this Bitcoin thing. I had studied economics, political economics at UC Berkeley, uh, a couple of years before that. So, you know it was something that was kind of intuitive to me uh because you know we had the 2008 financial crisis where a lot of companies went bankrupt but the government spent money and printed money in order to buy these valueless assets and it didn't really make sense to me it's like oh so you know general motors is currently bankrupt but you're printing money to buy this valueless asset what's going on here i didn't quite understand so you know bitcoin yeah. made a lot of sense from, uh, you know and pe- i think people come in from different angles right it's like if you're a developer and you look at bitcoin what's going to make sense to you about it is going to be more the technology side as far as, oh, this is like internet native money. It uses consensus models and encryption to maintain this network. And it has some kind of crypto economic, uh, incentives for, for why you should be a miner and why, you know, people use this, right? So you might look at it from more of a, like a technology angle. I looked at it from more of this political economic angle that, oh, well, this is a stateless money, right? Where it separates, you know, state from church or state from money. Uh, and, and this is something that, from a game theory standpoint, can really take off if if a certain country starts adopting it. So, you know, uh, at the time I was doing like another startup in like AI and machine learning for like hydraulic equipments. We were trying to apply uh, different machine learning to hydraulic equipment so you can kind of self-diagnose. Uh, the technology wasn't ready at the time. You know, AI nowadays is here, but, you know, this was back in like 2010, 2011. Um, yeah. So I was doing that in terms of this like AI hydraulic uh, smart pump startup when I found out about Bitcoin. And I just read it for during holidays, you know, read it for like a month. And I was like, yo, this is going to be the future. Right. So. Uh, so in December 2013, I found a startup in Silicon Valley that was out of these uh, incubators uh, called Boost VC with Adam Draper and Tim Draper. And Tim Draper has, you know, the Midas touch uh, uh, one of these billionaire uh, VC guys uh, in, in the valley. Anyways, uh, this VC has funded a small startup, a Bitcoin startup called Snapcard that later became Wire. And I went there to became the uh, the first employee and never looked back.
0: Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that that inflection moment was around printing money uh, because like I often kind of think that at its most basic level, like crypto is almost just a reaction to inflation. Right. And just because inflation is just a function of government's printing money. It's almost like you could almost boil it down to that kind of simple level in some ways. Right.
1: Absolutely. Right. I mean, in the first Genesis block of Bitcoin itself, the first very first transaction, it was minted on there. Uh, it was inscribed on there as far as, you know, chancellor on the brink of second bailouts. Right, and, and that was in reference yeah. to the UK and, and what the uh, central yeah. banks were doing there. And, you know, not not as much as what the US was doing, but look, this happens at a global scale in terms of the fiat monetary system. So, you know, like this, Bitcoin was very much a reaction to you know kind of modern Keynesian economics, right? But also mm-hmm. just from like a technology standpoint, it actually works and it's been working, right? It's a, a mutable ledger that has been very stable. The first the first couple of years, you know, there was a couple of times where Bitcoin kind of. Went offline, right? Which any technology in the very beginning, you're going to have that type of uh, tech uh, issue. But honestly, like Bitcoin has been very resilient. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where even nowadays the market itself has said, okay, you're, you're here, you're going to be here, and, uh, you know, we need to play ball. So, and, you know, hence the Bitcoin ETF from Trathfy.
0: Right, right. So, the, perfect segue. You should, you should be a podcast host. Um, so, on, on the Bitcoin ETF, then. So, if for, so as as I kind of explained um, previously offline, this isn't a crypto show. So, I would love to get an introduction to exactly what, the, well, the the Bitcoin ETF is. But you know, a, a broad top line on what ETFs are generally, and then what exactly they're doing with the Bitcoin ETF. What exactly is it? And why is it important? Yeah. So, I mean, ETFs in
1: general are these, like, exchange-traded funds where there's an underlying asset, whether it's, you know, gold or some kind of stock like Apple or a bundle of stocks, right? Or in this case, this digital commodity, Bitcoin, right? There's a custodian in this case, uh, 7 out of 10. So, so there's 10 issuers right now. There's 10 issuers, all the top traditional financial firms, right? Like, uh, you know, not Blackstone or BlackRock yet, but you have you know, like Fidelity or, you know, Eck, right? Not Vanguard yet, but anyways, you got like these top uh, traditional financial firms that have uh, issued this Bitcoin ETF, which is basically like a wrapper asset that can be traded against classic uh, financial rails, right? And then there's like underlying custodian. In this case, seven out of 10 of the issuers are using uh, Coinbase custody, right? There's a couple using like Gemini custody as well. And Gemini is, you know, the Gemini, uh, the Bank of uh, and, and Gemini.com is also a crypto exchange like Coinbase.com is. Anyways, Coinbase
0: has a has, Just to jump in there, just jump in. So when you say custody, you mean that Coinbase essentially owns the Bitcoins that are then being traded against?
1: Well, well they're providing the technology for you to hold the crypto uh, against your own kind of multi-party computation wallets, right? So there's like a transaction policy engine where you as a kind of fund manager, in this case, you know, Fidelity or VanEck, uh, they get Mm -hmm. to manage this, manage the accounts uh, on behalf of their users or the ETF buyers, right? And there's, they are segregated accounts where they are pooled accounts. It really depends, right? But the underlying technology is just a crypto wallet that is secured
0: through multi-party computation. Right. Okay. Um, And so essentially what it means is at a basic level, it's bringing Bitcoin into the traditional financial rails so that traditional institutions can then talk in the same language as Bitcoin or Bitcoin will talk in their language, which is the language of money that's gone back for hundreds of years.
1: Well, so if if you take a step back and you think about how traditional finance works, it's like you got a bunch of exchanges like Nasdaq, right? you got a bunch of brokerages uh like uh uh like Robinhood or you know like Revolutes, or right? these digital brokerages where you can uh where the brokers uh directly deal with end users that buy and sell, right? So usually you know people are buying and selling stocks like Tesla or Apple on these platforms. And, and this is the TraFi kind of structure, right? Superstructure that is TraFi, right? Bitcoin exists completely outside of that, right? It's its own network it has its own technology on how to custody it it has its own settlement and clearance and transfer mechanism uh, so how do you you know kind of fit this square pig into a round hole and mix this oil with this water well you wrap it under you wrap it with this etf so that it becomes this financial instrument that's fully regulated uh and in fact i can go into my you know like robin account right now and i can see all the bitcoin etfs so you know i don't have to actually own a bitcoin wallet. So i don't have to Download, you know, and this kind of hierarchically deterministic wallet where I have twelve-word C phrase using, you know, bip32 to uh, to hold my own keys, right? I don't have to mm. do anything like that. I just have a Robinhood account
0: and I can buy Bitcoin technically, right? Um, mm. And so, that. when you do that, again, uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll head it up now. There'll be lots of like dumb questions, but w- when you do that, what exactly are you buying? You're buying a share. In the ETF, you're not actually buying Bitcoin, right? That's right.
1: That's correct. Yeah, and, and the shares can be spliced up differently. It can represent, you know, 0.001 BTC or 0.01 BTC. It could represent, you know, whatever. But it, it's a share in this ETF uh, with a claim to the underlying Bitcoin, where you can buy and sell the ETF and thereby gain kind of this proxy exposure to the price and volatility of Bitcoin
0: right um, and how because Bitcoin is is inherently deflationary right it's it, it, you can't print more Bitcoin it will there's a finite amount of Bitcoin that's ever going to exist I think I'm right in saying um, how does how do these ETFs affect that but because presumably you, you're now creating lots more shares in a Bitcoin asset does it then have any impact on that kind of fundamental uh, selling point of Bitcoin
1: yeah, and and that's the kind of bull case, right? That's the bull case for Bitcoin. It's like, okay, well, now you have made this uh, crypto asset available through traditional finance, and any fund manager, any sovereign wealth, any nation, basically any kind of these insurance company with insurance policies uh, that you know invest in different uh, asset classes, all of these different uh, money, like forty trillion dollars of wealth, can now suddenly access Bitcoin, at least in the US, right? I mean, there's already ETFs and ETPs in other countries. Uh, and there's also the difference between spot ETF and future ETF. But point being that, you know, uh, $40 trillion can now easily buy Bitcoin without thinking about custody and technology and security and, they mm. can, uh, you know, so, so you know, in, in the long run, at least, this is the full cool case for Bitcoin to shoot up to a $1 million or beyond, right. Uh, and, and some people predict this to happen within this next year or two you know i'm I'm a bit more conservative on that front i think you know we'll probably top out at 300k or something but who knows you know the world is going really crazy you know you're going from covid 2020 to ukraine 2022 to israel 2023 who knows what's going to happen next right and uh yeah you know bitcoin is disinflationary meaning that the money supply increases at a decrease in rates uh and there's only a finite amount it's not like gold right gold is like gold will probably inflate at a 3 to 5% inflation rate for the foreseeable future. There's, there's not like a true supply cap on gold because you can always no. mine more gold. And nobody knows how yeah, much yeah. gold is really on earth. So, you know, you're going to yeah. have this inflationary currency, but it's hard money. Bitcoin is even harder than that,
0: right? So, yeah, yeah, I think that's what people struggle with. And that's what I often struggle with because I feel like there's a, it's almost a natural like human psychological instinct that gold you could you could pick up a bit of gold you know and i know it's it's probably seems silly to someone who spent 10 years working in crypto but i feel like there's some psychological link there where gold because you can pick up a bar of gold and you can say this is worth this much it feels more real to a lot of people than bitcoin because they don't understand you know what what it is that makes it harder than gold right
1: well, I, I think this next generation is going to understand it much more intuitively, but, you know, because they grew up in the internet yeah. age. You know? It's like for us, it's like yeah, you yeah. wouldn't say that TikTok is not real uh, and it's very much real, even though it's in a digital form. You know, it's like these mm. elections were manipulated through social media uh, and that's a very real impact in the world. Right. And But but the difference between kind of information versus money is, you know, if I send you a picture, I have a copy of that picture. I made a copy of the picture and I sent it to you. So you now have a copy of the same picture as I do, right? You can't do that with money, right? If I send you $100 mm-hmm. and I still have $100, I have effectively counterfeited it, right? So Bitcoin solves <laughs> this double spend on the internet, making an internet native money where you can send stuff around and there always is only the 21 million, right? And there's mm-hmm. you know probably like 19 million in supply right now, in circulating supply, uh, but it makes it, As hard as gold, it has the same attributes as money uh, in digital form, right? And if you think about money, too, it's like, well, you know, what is kind of like Web1 money, right? Web1 money is like, you know, cash in your bank account, let's say, or you have to go to a physical branch, withdraw cash. Like, what's Web2 money? Web2 money is like, you know, Revolut or Cash App, right? You wouldn't say that your 100 bucks in your Cash App or Revolut isn't real, isn't hard money. It's 100 bucks, right? And that's, you know, this kind of internet... Uh, Web2 money that is, you know, available through your digital banking, your neobank, right? So mm. now you have this Web3 money that is on this kind of internet native protocol uh, that exists, you know, through this consensus model online, on-chain. Uh, and uh, it's it has the same attributes as money, and but it just exists
0: outside of the government-issued money system. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so this is... Uh, this is another thing I wanted to ask you about is like, so I know this talk about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies for, for those who, who don't know. And with the Bitcoin ETF as well, you're, you're kind of bringing cryptocurrency into almost the, the traditional world of finance and with CBDCs into the traditional world of government, does it not like take cryptocurrency from being this kind of countercultural thing that sits outside of governments and that's one of the most appealing things about it is that it can't be manipulated by the government and it can't be inflated just because they want to bail out a, a car company in Detroit or whatever you know it's it's its own thing it's its own revolution does not bringing it under the scrutiny of the financial markets proper and under the scrutiny of Governments and central banks kind of just make it like take it away from being this this amazing revolution to just being like an upgrade on, you know, uh, like dollar V2 or whatever. Like, is it is, does it not kind of take away some of what was most special about it?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. I think, you know, and this is kind of uh, the dystopic future of one path that can unfold. Right. If, if you look back to what happened with like Napster and LimeWire like 20 years ago, right, in terms of music, mm. and piracy and privacy, uh, you know, and now you have this kind of uh, a little bit darker of a presence, right, in terms of uh, all these Internet companies that um, have taken over where you are the product because they run ads and, and they make billions of dollars from running ads to you and the Internet kind of morph into this dysmorphic this dystopic um uh, present states right whereas before it, it was really more about freedom and, and you know freedom of speech right uh and mm. so you know the last thing you want is for crypto to become the Napster of web3 right you don't want yeah. Bitcoin, you know to kind of you know you don't want bitcoin to just stay on the fringe I think it made a lot of sense in the very beginning for it to stay on the fringe because that was the concentration of liquidity where, where there was a product market fit for users at the time it's like oh we can use this on the Silk Road and buy whatever we want. Government yeah, tell right. Us, yeah. Oh, I can use this thing. No one can stop me to pay for something, even if it is illicit. Right. Uh, but but for it to come into mainstream, there are kind of two paths. Right. Either Bitcoin, and Ethereum and Solana stays permissionless uh, and it uh, is allowed to persist throughout time uh, so that there's more open Internet with open money or you might get this kind of central bank digital currency where, you know, white, uh, uh, wealth can be wiped out, uh, from top down, you know, in a centralized mm. manner. Right. And, and you can make Bitcoin illegal. Right. And even these ETFs can be a way to confiscate Bitcoin because if everybody just, if everybody buys the ETF instead of some Bitcoin themselves, then, you know, it's kind of like back in the days when, uh, they started confiscating confiscating gold. Right. that They made it a law where you cannot own gold by yourself and they were confiscating gold. So, you know, you look to history and it's like, OK, you know, the government might do that at some point. And even just the ETF being launched itself is kind of shady because, you know, if you look at what happened in the past couple of years, it's like, oh, so you mean that the entire crypto space just imploded with like BlockFi and Celsius and Voyager and FTX and 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 all of these. uh firms, these big companies mm. inside the crypto space, that was they were doing hundreds of billions of dollars of trading volume, making, you know, billions of dollars in revenue, you mean that they all just died? And traditional finance is coming in, like NASDAQ has a digital asset arm. So so you're telling me that NASDAQ wants to replace Binance and Coinbase, and you're telling me that Fidelity wants to replace, you know, self custody, right? So that's these these qualified yeah. custodians uh, can come in. Uh, and traditional finance can take over just like how you know the the government you know helped uh you know the big tech to 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 come into place right and and, uh you know and we know that the big tech you know colludes with the governments and that's why everybody hates where all the government people they don't like elon and x right they don't like tiktok you know it's not they don't like tiktok not because of you know this Chinese government, you know firewall situation, or or the fact that they can steal data. They don't like it because TikTok is stealing users and money from you know Google and, and Instagram and all these you know domestic internet companies, right? So there's definitely like right. a protection them against Without and that's that's where like the game theory becomes really interesting in terms of like West versus East versus this digital currency. You got like Euro, Euro dollar versus Ruble rmb versus bitcoin and crypto right and the game theory on how the three unfolds is very interesting
0: yeah yeah Uh, can you can you expand on that on how that might unfold well okay
1: so i mean you have u.s hegemony for the past you know 80 years since 45 let's say right 1945 after we won world war ii uh and it's been this kind of unipolar world, uh, where the U.S. dollar has been dominant, the petrol dollar, you know, all countries are forced to settle oil futures in the U.S. dollar, right? Arguably, Saddam Hussein was taken out because he wanted to settle oil futures in Euro back in 2001, got taken out 2003, right? All these wars we can see, you know, with uh, pipelines being blown up and whatever is kind of obvious to the layman that probably the U.S. is behind it, right? So you have this U.S. hegemony where they're not necessarily trying to win. uh, They just want to prevent you from you know, like when you're first place, all you have to do is stay first place, right? So right. you just kind of yeah, have yeah. to sabotage everyone else, whether it's destabilizing a region, whether it's, you know, invoking a war between China and Taiwan, right? So there's a strategic interest for the U.S. to kind of topple governments around the world, whether it's in Latin or Europe even, or, or Middle East or Asia, right? So that they can stay number one. Um, but then you have these other countries that are waking up to that, like the BRICS countries like Brazil, Russia, India, China, You know, South Africa, you know, all these uh, Saudi Arabia is joining and and all these different countries are starting to, you know, do payments and settlements outside of the US dollar and Euro, right? They're starting to, you know, use Mm. the Chinese law to do settlements. So, you know, because if China trades with Argentina, they might as well uh, settle with their own currency instead of buying another currency in the USD, right? Same thing with like if China settles with Saudi Arabia. Well why should we do it through the uh, US dollar? Why don't we just do it with RMB or some other currency that is native to ourselves, to our Yeah, stocks?
0: is there not some reason why it's is is there not so, sorry to jump in, but is there not some because I have I've I've heard conversations about this before and you know, I'm not a not a, you know, a, an economist, but is there not is it not the case that China probably wouldn't be able to become the global reserve currency because it would mean Relinquishing a degree of control over their own currency that they're unlikely to want to do.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think they're kind of trying to achieve the best of both worlds, where they are right. retaining control and using the internationalization of the Chinese yuan as a way to, uh, you know, to challenge the U.S. Uh, and their hegemony. Right. I don't think it'll be the Chinese yuan, but it'll be a basket of currencies. Uh, you right. know, with Chinese yuan in there, you know, Brazilian rail, all these countries are buying gold, right? These BRICS countries, you know, and they might have like a gold backed currency. Uh, and, and, you know, together, this basket of currencies can challenge the US dollar, right? And then you have Bitcoin in there, as all these fiat currency systems, and governments are, um, are starting to, you know, experience hyperinflation, right? Many countries mm. have already, it's not just LATAM anymore, it's, you know, like the the U.S. is running out of cars to play, right? This year is going to be really interesting. You know, they, they spent so much money or time last year, you know, increasing interest rates to fight inflation. And inflation is now down, but the cost of capital is so high that businesses are on the brink of bankruptcy. And if they do go bankrupt, you're going to have to print more money, like 2008, in order to buy up those valuable assets to profit the economy, which is going to cause inflation again. So you know, and if inflation will lead to a million-dollar Bitcoin, even without the Bitcoin ETF, right? So right, you know, there's, there's an interesting dynamic uh, in the world.
0: Yeah. So because the the yeah look, I, and and I think it really is like I think you're you know the the, the conversation around de-dollarization globally is it's certainly prevalent and and you know I mean I don't really have a strong opinion on on, on whether the the dollar will remain the the uh, primary global currency forever you know it's probably beyond my pay grade but it's certainly an interesting conversation one point to pick up on the on the question about inflation and how Bitcoin is you know it was kind of billed as being a hedge against inflation before this last inflation and then as inflation went up Bitcoin price seemed to go down. So it it was almost like the opposite happened. Have you got any feelings on why that is?
1: Well, so, you know, in 2020, after the whole COVID situation, the government's printed trillions of dollars overnight, Bitcoin did go up when inflation went up then, right? Uh, And that's when we hit the all-time high, 69,000. But then in 2022, the government started fighting inflation by increasing interest rates. uh, And that's kind of brought prices down right? So the price of Bitcoin. Uh, uh, mm. so, but, but now we have strong fundamentals. Uh, so, you know, once again, like, I, I don't think the government has any other cards to play beyond, like, if the, if the economy crashes again, they have no other cards to play than to uh, decrease the cost of capital by decreasing interest rates and printing more money. So you, you do have there's a lot of correlations in this. Um, but I mean, mm. point being that I think, all in all, Uh, we're, we're going into this kind of inflationary period in terms of long run, right? It hasn't, it's not going to like, we're, it's going to take time, right? It's kind of ebbs and flows as we kind of go up, you know, 69 K 20, you know, break to 120 K 200 K and then come down to maybe 80. Right. And and so, you know, you want to look at the halving, right? Like 2013, 2017, 2021, 2025,
0: 2029, and you're going to have this kind of all the way up. Uh, yeah. So should we just we should probably just explain that because um, I, I know what you're referring to, but uh, listeners might not all. So the, the, the halving that people refer to it as, right? The, the halving. Could, could you explain what it is that you mean by that?
1: Well, so the Bitcoin network is mathematically designed in a way where the, card, the code base, uh, it's basically decreases the amount of Bitcoin that is mined every four years so every 10 minutes there's a new block being produced that's why it's called a blockchain is a chain of blocks right and every block has certain uh kind of uh bits or bytes in size of how many transactions you can put in it there's a fee market against that as well on you know if you have like a million transactions that tries to fit and only a thousand transactions can fit you're going to kind of bid it up uh you know and, and add an extra fee uh, you know, in order to fit your transaction into that particular block. But anyways, the Bitcoin blockchain is designed in a way where a block is produced every 10 minutes, right? And, and certain amount of blocks, basically roughly every four years. And the next one's coming up in a couple of months in like May, 2024. uh, so every four years, uh, the, the amount of newly, uh, rewarded Bitcoin to the miners, it gets shrunk by half. Right, so you, we've already gone through a couple of cycles where, you know, Bitcoin went from, you know, 50 Bitcoin down to 25 Bitcoin every every 10 minutes. Right. New, new, new Bitcoin being minted and introduced into the money supply. Right. Uh, to 12.5 Bitcoins to, you know, 6.25 Bitcoins to now 3.125 Bitcoins. So so that's why I said at first, it's not a deflationary currency, it's a disinflationary currency. Right. The right. money supply yeah. increases at a decreasing rate. Right. Uh, which means that there's a supply crunch, right? The, the supply crunch is going to cause a supply shock because you have all this ETF pouring in with new money trying to buy Bitcoin, yeah. but the amount of Bitcoin supply is getting shrunk, right? So the you know so the first bull run it coincides with the halving, right? When when the when the amount of Bitcoin is rewarded every ten minutes cut by half, it just so happened that there was a bull run in 2013. When that happened again hmm. 2017. That's when we went from like 200 bucks to $20,000 and then 2021 as well, right? This is this is uh, without regard for the rest of the world as far as what's happening in terms of monetary policy of the governments or, you know, COVID or wars. Right? Yeah, and this is just the Bitcoin network itself is designed in such a way that there is this mining reward that's given out every 10 minutes and that it halves every four years so that there's less Bitcoin being rewarded. Uh, and that seems to have a lot of effect on the price, uh, as to why you know the supply shock causes supply crunch that you know causes bitcoins to have these bull runs every four years.
0: Yeah, and so do you think then that that, that those cycles, the the the, the, ba- the fluctuation in, in the price of Bitcoin, is essentially unrelated to geopolitics and and government intervention? Like, what do do you think that the bitcoins uh, bitcoins own cycle? of bull runs, halving, all of that stuff is, is is far more closely correlated to the Bitcoin price than than geopolitics and government intervention. How would you kind of rate those if you've got these two things, Bitcoin's own kind of levers and external levers pushing the price around, which is most important?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it is a multivariate equation, right? And this is where the universe has kind of worked out, where it, it's kind of both, right? It's very serendipitously yeah. both. You know, like the, the whole Bitcoin uh, ETF was launched on January 10th, right? Which was like exactly 14 years ago, you know, where Hal, fin, uh, Hal Finney uh, wrote running Bitcoin on Twitter. You know, it's just like the perfect day. The universe just kind of aligned where, you know, the macro from without launched the ETF on this day where, you know, the original one of the original founders of Bitcoin was running Bitcoin. Right. So, yeah, you know, I think yeah. it's both, but, but definitely, definitely Bitcoin has its own economics, right? And and that economics uh, is built into the code. And so the market watches that. Right. And and so the way that market prices Bitcoin is based on the fundamentals of Bitcoin and everybody understanding very transparently when the halving happens. Right. You look to you look to like the past 13 years of Bitcoin and you look at like six months before the halving and six months after the halving. What happens with the price? You know, because market actors, they're watching, you know, the price, they're watching these mm-hmm. events major events uh
0: yes yeah, so, so it's a little bit of both and i guess that is a that is something that the the cryptocurrency in general but bitcoin in particular certainly has in its favor you know over fiat currencies is that it is you know its it, its movement is predictable like you never know when the fed or the bank of england I mean, you know, they give some indicators about what they're planning on doing and how much money they're planning on printing or, you know, or, or, or when they're planning on tightening the supply. But it's very much kind of, you know, just driven by the whims of a select few human beings who are, as we all are, you know, fallible and, and liable to make poor judgment calls at times. Um, so I guess that is one very concrete thing that you can say about cryptocurrency is that it won't have that kind of human whim element in its fundamentals.
1: Yeah, it's, it's in the code, right? It's like Ethereum. Like we talked about Bitcoin a lot, but, you know, every blockchain is transparent and permissionless and open. So whether you're mm. an investor or whether you're uh, a developer, you're able to rely on this technology in an immutable manner where you know that it's just going to work. You know, you have this kind of proof of work mechanism with miners supporting Bitcoin, but you have this proof of stake mechanism uh, with validators supporting ethereum right and, and ethereum also has its own thesis on why there will be an ether etf right and because ether uh, through the proof of stake model actually uh rewards stakers instead of miners there are no miners right uh, there are validators and the validators uh are regular people that are holding ethereum and they can stake it to support mm-hmm. the security of the ethereum network you know and there's like a five you know three to five seven percent Interest that's being paid out, you know, almost like if you buy like Coca Cola or you know Clorox yeah. or some other you know company that gives you dividends, you know, it's like Ether gives dividends, right? That makes yeah. a lot of sense for traditional financial players, where it's like, okay, cool, yes, Bitcoin makes sense. It's you know an inflation hedge. It's gonna go to a million dollars, but Ether also makes sense. We can make five percent just from holding mm-hmm. it, uh, and uh, you know, so that's also gonna come on the scene, uh, you know, as far as. The, the interplay between kind of this socio-political versus the tech, deep tech and technology, uh, you know, it, it's really coming together uh, when you look at crypto. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you're staking Ethereum, like what are you getting? Because a, a traditional dividend from a company, you're basically getting a share of, of, the, of the, the money that this company has made by selling goods and services, right? It's pretty straightforward. What is it that you're actually getting paid for? When you stake your eth
1: well so it's the same thing as bitcoin and ether in terms of the intent and the function of mining versus staking which is to maintain the security of the network by validating transactions to include them into the next block in the in the blockchain right right uh, and the only difference is the proof of work is like you're solving some really hard math equation that requires all these hardware computers to do so and that work when you convert basically energy into money by spending the energy on the mining equipment in order to uh, be rewarded by the network uh, with newly minted bitcoin right it's the same thing for yeah. ethereum except instead of proof of work, you have proof of stake where you stake a certain amounts and then you go and validate transactions and if you so lie and say well this transaction didn't happen and everyone else has no this transaction did happen then you will be slashed and you will you will lose your stake right uh, so you stake some and then you continue to validate transactions as long as you don't lie uh then you're helping the uh the ledger to stay as a source of truth that's reliable right yeah so, so all yeah. it is is just maintaining the security of the network that allows transactions to happen every second every 30 second every 10 seconds every 10 minutes whatever it is every blockchain has a different consensus mechanism on finality and settlements and you know how long it takes before uh, a transaction is mm confirmed on the network, right? And you think about how that works currently in traditional payment networks, like a visa or like, like a faster payments, right? Uh, You have a central bank that basically does settlements with all of the banks for faster payments, right? Or visas, like you have this visa network that is tapped into bank A and bank B that moves money between a car holder and a merchant, right? These are all networks that are closed loop. They're all centralized. They're all private networks. Are the private payment networks? You can think of blockchains as almost like public payment networks in a way.
0: Yeah, and so, so I get I get all that, but like just to just quickly loop back to the 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 questions, like where is that money, not money, where, but where is that interest coming from? So, are you getting a bit of the next block that you've helped to validate, like yeah, when you so, get your five percent or whatever?
1: Right, right. So, so. Just like how at first we were talking about the Bitcoin halving and you know, there's newly minted Bitcoin where the, the code base of Bitcoin itself, as far as how the network is run, that's how it runs. Is it mints new Bitcoin and gives it to the miners, right? Hmm. Same thing with Ethereum. It's also mints new Ether to give it to the validators. Right. To, right.
0: To, to, okay. Okay. Right. I'm with you. So yeah. So it just gets split between all of the different people that have stakes their eth, and that that's the only place that the new eth goes is to all of the people that have stakes. That's correct. Yeah. So okay. I'm with you. So right, right, yeah. Sorry. Like little... I feel I, I feel really stupid now. It's yeah. like oh yeah, oh, obviously, but um, yeah, sorry. Um, but the... There's okay. Yeah, I'm with you,
1: that, right? Because like you, you have like the U.S. mints or like the U.K. mints, and the government is minting money and they're printing money, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah. But then here, it's like, okay, well, who's printing money? Well, the network is, and the network is run right yeah, by yeah, the yeah. social consensus amongst us to run the same code base that we all play by the same rules, and it's a decentralized way of minting money, or digital money.
0: Mm. Yeah. I mean, you can see why people get so. Um like invested in. crypto, So I've got friends who like, every time I see them, they're wearing like a Bitcoin t-shirt, you know, or like they're just, they're so into it. And I can see why now. I mean, just talking to you, you kind of think, oh yeah, it is. You just are literally reframing your entire idea of, of what value exchange is. Like we're so rooted in, 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 in pounds and dollars that, you know, it is kind of a, you have to shift the way that you think about value fundamentally I think
1: absolutely I'll give you like a short anecdote you know I've been in the market to buy a car and I'm like why would I spend 40k on this when that's one Bitcoin right now when in a couple of years this is probably worth 0.1 Bitcoin 0.1 Bitcoin right I rather buy a 2001 Lexus RS for a couple of thousand dollars and just drive a beater around because Uh, because it gets around, gets me around from A to B, it serves this function. Now I'm living more frugally, making better economic decisions, right? When you have this inflationary currency where you know that the value of your money is going to be worth less in the future, you have a propensity to spend it now today. Right. But when you know your money is going to be worth later on, it incentivizes you to save and make better economic decisions for you and your family, right? So, so this mm. this actually has uh, the social element where it causes people to be more physically responsible, uh, and and awakens them up to be less reliant on the government and more reliant on their ability to produce value and exchange it for this monetary value, right? You're exchanging yeah. your time and yeah. for money, uh, and you spend it more wisely instead of just
0: going out and buying, you know, BS, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's why governments target. So, you know, they say that they're trying to fight inflation, but actually, governments want a, an amount of, you know, they target one to 2% inflation as what they're shooting for, right? Like they, they, they want inflation because they want people to spend because they want people's cash to be worth less than it was 10 years ago. So that, you know, the, the wheels of the economy keep turning, I guess. Um, yep. and, and so that they can tax every single transaction that, that happens throughout that journey, right? How much of the Bitcoin ETF conversation and how much of the of the of the decision to from the authorities to allow it is to do with taxation? Do you think?
1: Oh, it's a lot. I mean, look. I mean, not to get too conspiratorial, but I kind of alluded to it at first. It's like you know, all of these crypto companies just so happen to die, and I'm not saying there wasn't fraud there with like Sam bankman Freed, you know, or or just uh, poor risk management and poor operational management You know there sure is, mm-hmm. but you know, when someone is at the edge of a cliff, it takes a little bit of a push to, to, to really kick them off. So I think there's an incentive right. for wall street and Washington DC to collude, to come in and, and take over this particular industry and regulate it. Right. You know, they'll do it under the guise of consumer protection, right? Which is fair and true because when you have all these unregulated exchanges that are offshore, you know, it, they can rug pull you, you know, it's like, oh, the founders disappeared. Oh, they had a, you know, 100,000 mm. Bitcoin, um, they were trading on the exchange, and now, you know, it's dead, you know, uh, so there, there's definitely in a strong argument to be made as to why government should step in and regulate this industry and to remove bad actors and to let the traditional players have a role because they have had pretty, relatively much better risk management you know, that's, that's an argument, right? You can say, you know, HSBC laundered money for the cartel or, you know, uh, yeah, way yeah. more money laundering happens through the traditional banking system than it does on Bitcoin or, you know, and Bitcoin's actually or crypto is actually more easily tractable because it's an open ledger and you can like fight crime, financial crimes a lot easier, you know. so But, you know, point being that I think either way, the government is stepping in and regulating it. And in a way, this is a good thing. Because with regulatory clarity, it gives all the industry actors a clear path on what to do, right? It's like when mm-hmm. uh, so when you're dealing with a country that hasn't come out with clear regulation yet, you don't know what to do, right? And you don't know how to stay compliant so that you don't get in trouble, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's like if they over-regulate it, then it can be at, at best annoying, right? Like your cookies, you know, accept your cookie, you know, GDPR and stuff. At best, it could be annoying, and at worst. It could uh slow the technology down right this is another side we haven't talked about yet which is the technological inevitability that is blockchain technology right you, you know i don't know if you use
0: like, inevitability
1: yeah well inevitability I mean, yeah
0: yeah yeah it, okay. it's
1: inevitable yeah. I mean, it's just like the internet right it's like if if you look at the yeah, yeah. 90s or 80s you know people didn't think that you know you were gonna like start sending emails instead of faxes but it's like who sends faxes today i don't have a fax machine i have to go to like you know FedEx office in order to use a fax. I don't know how to use a fax, yeah. right? Uh, and, and in the same way, it's like, you know, as we move from Web 2 to Web 3, the underlying technology stack is shifting. There's a seismic shift where, you know, you're moving away from these centralized systems to these decentralized systems, and that is kind of inevitable, right? Now, which blockchain wins? Mm-hmm. That's under question, right? If you use Solana, you know things happen pretty fast on there at a very cost effective rate um, that can, you know, potentially challenge Ethereum. Uh, you know, cause whenever, whenever you do a transaction on Ethereum, it might cost you $5 to $15, sometimes $50, $150. You know, if you do a transaction on Solana, no matter how complex the transaction is, no matter, no matter how much computation power that that transaction requires, it's less than one cents and less than five seconds. Right. So that's, yeah that can operate at scale. And and if it does, then, you know, it can help, you know, tier one, web two companies to, to, you know, imagine like a game, imagine like an Xbox game, imagine like a a Call of Duty, right? And uh, all of your items on there, you can, you know, be almost like Ready Player One where all of your in-game items can kind of transpire across gaming platforms, right? That's something Mm -hmm. that can disrupt gaming, right? We talked about finance already in terms of, uh, you know, how these Bitcoin ETF or Ether ETF is disrupting um, uh, traditional finance, right? You have culture. You see NFT, right? NFTs are, you know, has disrupted cultural cultural value, right? Imagine if like, yeah. Vinci, imagine like if Da Vinci came out with like Da Vinci Coin like five hundred years ago, you know, how much would that be worth? You know, and the cultural yeah. value, <laughs> part, right? It, it's uh, you know, you well, so what so so
0: just to just to stop you very briefly, just you mentioned NFTs what what happened there because they they've kind of just seemed to have disappeared from public consciousness entirely i mean the last the last thing i saw about nfts was how you know some nft that was worth millions and millions is now worth not very much and that seems to be the kind of prevailing public mood like is it is is it still is opensea still around like are, are people still paying big money for for nfts yep. is it just a or is it just a cultural fad
1: well, look, you know, every assets, whether it's uh, Bitcoin or NFT, right, they go through cycles, right? You know, Bitcoin mm. dropped from, you know, like $20,000 down to 3000 or it went in the first run, it went from 1200 down to like 180 right? Like, you're going to draw down 80 90% because it's a very volatile new tech, and people don't know how to value these things yet, so... You know, NFT just had a run in 2021, 2022. uh, And yes, it has basically temporarily died, right? But the technology is here and it's something where people are starting to understand that we are in a meme culture, right? We're in a meme culture. (laughs) You can say that Bitcoin itself is a meme coin, right? So you got like things like Bunk or like, you know, Obama, Shinu or you know, whatever Dogecoin and all these different meme coins, like, well, what is the value of this? Well, the value of it is everybody finds value in it. Right. Everybody finds value. The value could just be, oh, it's Mm. fun. It's funny. Right. But there's value. There's a cultural value in that there's social consensus that we, uh, you know, we're pumping this particular meme instead of that. How do memes become popular? Right. And what is the value of that meme? Right. It's a, it's a way for society to communicate and to, for for society, for people to, uh, you know, kind of keep track of what we find important, right? So, So, you know, there's definitely like a fine line between something like a Bitcoin that's hard money and a meme coin versus something like an NFT that just has cultural value according to what people's demand for it is, right? But the technology is here and is useful, not just in this kind of cultural art context, but, you know, NFTs could be used for a lot of other things as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it comes back again to that point about you just kind of, I suppose, have to reframe what you think of as value, right? Like if it's, it's, you know, maybe the value is, as you say, it's just in it being funny, you know, like Shiba Inu, what's, what's valuable about it? Well, lots of people find the dog quite fun, you know, <laughs> like, and that, that is value in, in a sense, I, I, I suppose it is just, it is just about this switching frame from the physical into the kind of digital, which is why whenever you read about cryptocurrency in like the financial times or the economist or whatever, they they are almost always trying to frame it in a traditional financial way and I I suspect maybe it's a generational thing as well. Like a lot of the people that write for the FT will be or the wall street journal or whatever will be a bit older maybe, but like I kind of, I, there was an FT piece that came out just the other day and I noted down a quote from it just because, um, because I knew I was talking to you basically and I happened to be reading it, but they, they said, um, Where's the quote? So the FT recently said, if cryptocurrencies are indeed currencies and not speculative collectible fads like baseball cards or Beanie Babies, then they would be the first, the world's first traded currency with no economic purpose. So does that to you just scream of someone who just doesn't understand cryptocurrency? Yeah.
1: that's correct. It's too broad, right? It's too broad to generalize. It's like saying if internet is a way to only uh talk to each other then this is the first uh, internet that uh you know doesn't have any value beyond this digital communication format it's like well it can be that it can be something else and you you don't really know what it can be until you know new innovation happens on top of it right it's like you know so so the same thing 25 years ago where it's like it's kind of hard for people to imagine 25 years ago exactly how the internet is going to unfold over the next 25 years. In the same way, it's like yeah, Bitcoin, roughly speaking, or crypto, roughly speaking, has this financial side to it and a non-financial side to it. Anyways, is a new technology that you can use for a number of things for settling trades and you know different uh, uh, asset types. You can tokenize securities. You know, um, you know the, the CEO of Blackstone is then BlackRock are talking about tokenization a lot where even securities can become a token in the same way that the ETF is kind of a wrapper of the underlying assets, right? You can do the inverse where it's like, well, we'll keep the stock and then we'll issue a on-chain security token and we'll trade on the blockchain yeah. instead of in traditional finance. So, you know, like it, it's, yeah. it, it could be anything or everything, right? It's this new internet native money on top of which, uh, you know, money can be used for, you know, cross border payments or remittance it could be used for FX trading or settlements. It can be used for, you know, kind of this assets trading clearance and transfer agents that replaces traditional finance. It could be used for cultural value exchange, such as baseball cards and Pokemon cards. You know, it could be in-game items. It could be anything and everything. Uh, but, yeah. but it's not one thing, right? So. Yeah, yeah yeah
0: I guess it's also interesting that that they that they use this um you know collectible fads like baseball cards It's like well you know to to some people baseball cards are really valuable right like you, you, you get the, you have baseball cards from fifty years ago that are that are worth millions now right so it's it's almost like they've used this example to disparage the the idea of of lasting value by raising an example of something that isn't money that maintains value over a long time. It's almost like making the argument, making the opposite argument to, to yeah. what, what he thinks it is. Exactly. It's like it, you can
1: tokenize everything, right? You can put a 1965, you know, Ford Mustang GT and tokenize that as NFT. And you can sell that NFT as a claim to the underlying asset, which is that 1965 Ford Mustang. Uh, and, mm and replace that word for mustang with diamonds or gold or baseball cards or any physical items right there's there's a, there's a company called 4K just 4k.com and that's what they do uh-huh. they take physical assets and then they tokenize it as nft and now you can trade the nft on the blockchain you can burn the nft to claim the underlying assets and it's a more efficient way uh for that particular subculture or for that particular subculture. You know community uh to to trade amongst each other uh that can yeah. you know give some incremental efficiency to that particular subculture right so yeah it, it's it, this this is at the end of the day bitcoin and crypto are many things but you know there's a technology side to it that does make things more efficient in terms of the transfer of value
0: mm yeah have you heard about those people oh, this is a bit of a tangent but those people who who that there's an island somewhere and their money is like these giant rocks and they're too big to move right so they don't carry them around with them they just trade this just so they're just you know uh, like there's tom's rock somewhere and that's my rock and there's jack's rock somewhere and that's your rock i'll see if i can find it i'll see if i can find who they're called um I'm just grabbing my uh, my laptop charger that is dying. Yeah, no worries. Um, I don't know if I'm going to find them. Um, well, maybe uh, maybe maybe someone in the in the comments when this goes live will will know what I'm talking about. Or maybe they're wheels. Maybe they're like big big wheels. All right. Oh yeah, here we are. It's the it's the, the here we go. Right. Yeah. So they are. The Micronesian island of Yap has a famously unusual currency. Hundreds of giant oh, yeah. disks of rocks scattered all over the island, many of them too heavy to move. Um, here, I, I, uh, I think I can share my screen for, for viewers, two seconds, um, because there's pictures of these rocks here. Uh, can, you, um, can you see this, this article that, I've, that I've, uh, yeah. I've got? The tiny island with human-sized money. And this is, their, this is their currency, these gigantic rocks. Have you ever heard about these people?
1: Absolutely, yeah. There's actually a crypto company called Yap. That, oh, wow, uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, it's, this is one of the classic examples that Bitcoiners like to use, right? In, right. in terms of the, kind of the history of money, when you look at things like Yaps or seashells or gold and all of these different things on what constitutes money, this is why it doesn't matter whether it's digital or not what matters is the fact that the attributes money are contained and embedded in this digital currency yeah yeah
0: awesome all right um, well look I, this I, I don't know how you're doing for time um, but it's just a, a couple of things I, I, I was gonna ask you about altcoins um, just generally and then I want to learn a bit about Unlimit and what you're doing there so are you, are you good for another 10 15 something like that yeah absolutely Awesome. Um, yeah. So first, first of all, then um, altcoins. So we've talked a lot about Bitcoin. We've talked a lot about ETH. There are obviously and we've touched on a few others, but there is obviously this massive wild ecosystem, some of which are memes like Shiba Inu, others of which seem to have a little bit more credibility like, like Cardano um, is, is one that I'm, I'm aware of. Uh, like, how do you go about assessing who's serious and who isn't in this world?
1: Well, And do you even need to
0: know who's serious and who isn't, I guess?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I would say that for people that don't understand this stuff, the first thing you want to do is to distinguish between a token and a blockchain because every blockchain has its own native token. So like Bitcoin has BTC, Ethereum has ETH, right? Solana has Sol, right? Polygon has Matic and So these are all different blockchains, which is the network itself, on top of which you can issue a token. So it has its own native token for that network, and then it has hundreds of thousands of other tokens that you can issue, that you can use the protocol to issue, right? So right there, that should tell you something, because, you know, if you really want to buy one of the tokens on top of a blockchain, you can. But maybe if you don't know what you're doing, you should just buy the underlying native token. Of that blockchain itself
0: right
1: so I, yeah i mean i i personally only hold you know bitcoin ethereum and solana because i don't have time as a builder operator i don't have time to go and try to chase the next coin right if you're a daytime trader right. if it also depends on your risk appetite and your personality right you know some people are they love catching knives or they're trading and they're they're making leverage bets and and they make you know twenty thousand dollars a day because you know, they, they looked at this five minute window frame where prices moved 2% and they made 20% from that or 200% from that, you know, like there's people that do that, right. There's, there's a spectrum of like, kind of gamblers and speculators and traders and investors. I'm more on the investor side. Right. Mm. Uh, and and honestly, it's like, I had to learn the hard way
0: that I am not a trader. Right. You know, I've gone. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You and you and millions more, I'm sure.
1: You know, so I've gone from like three hundred bitcoins uh, of what I had down to like twenty, down to ten, down to like five. You know, and, and so like wow. the two, the two most important things to consider is like identifying who you are, whether you're a speculator or an investor, because you know, investors if you if you bought you know Tesla in two thousand eight, you wouldn't sell it ever, right? If you bought Amazon two thousand, you mm. wouldn't sell it ever. That's an investor, right? You you have conviction in this thesis. And you're going to hold it for the next 10, 20 years. Right. Mm. Uh, And and if you're a trader, then you don't really care about what you're trading and what you're holding. You have no long term conviction. You're just trading the market. Right. Mm. So you want to identify your personality on like who who you are. And then the second thing is like you really want to understand counterparty risk, right? So it's like you can either lose money by trading or you can lose money by holding money in the wrong place. Like I lost uh, most of my coins in the early years from trading. And then I lost most of my coins in latter years from holding it at the wrong place, right? So like you know, right. I held it at FTX or FTX-backed company that I didn't know, or like held did at Voyager or BlockFi, or you know, I held it at all these companies that went into bankruptcy. Uh, and now, hmm. even though I had exposure to this coin, uh, it's gone because you know, or, or I'll get back like thirty cents on the dollar because the company itself is bankrupt. You know, I was watching this right, random yeah. story about this this guy that was homeless in Oakland, California, that had like three million dollars that he was holding with Lehman Brothers in 2008. You know, he had houses, he had boats. Wow. He had a three million dollar uh, investment uh, fund. Uh, you know, his retirement fund held with Lehman Brothers. Right. So wow. who are you holding your money with and is that safe? Right. And this is why self-custody yeah. is so important. Self-custody is your only counterpart is technology and math, right? It's like if quantum if quantum computing breaks all encryption, then you know you'll have bigger problems to worry about than your Bitcoin, you know, uh, security being compromised. Right. Um, but but there's no other counterparty beyond the technology itself if you're holding your own keys, basically. Right. Mm. Whereas if trusting in a third party, even if it is like a BlackRock or Fidelity or these TriFi firms, you ultimately have to understand that, hey, there is still some counterparty risk here, right? So, so I would say that those, like even before looking at coins, understand those two principles. Right? You know, don't don't think about what what, what what Don't think about what chain or token to invest in. First, understand who you are and who your counterparty is.
0: Mm. Okay. Yeah. And do do you think um, quantum computing hacking? bitcoin or hacking cryptocurrency is a risk
1: well i mean there's a window of a gap solving
0: it
1: yeah exactly right it depends on who solves it it's like well if a bad actor solves it, if north korea solves it your brown solves it uh and they plan like you know leave the world behind type of global attack uh you know like you're we're we're screwed right but but if Mm. if you have like a like somebody on the west or like a good actor that solves it you know there could be a patch and an update almost like y two k you know with you know with the u t c timestamps like that you know that that you that there's there's a window of an attack vector where you know the software doesn't update to accommodate for this new type of encryption that is needed in order to secure the network that is you know quantum proof um but mm. but you know, it's, this is more like sci fi than than reality I would say yeah
0: okay okay. Cool. All right. Well, look. Um, tell me about Unlimit. Um, what are you uh, What are you doing over there? What's uh, What's exciting about what you guys are doing?
1: Yeah. You know, here at Unlimit, we are basically an established payment company that's been around for 15 years. Uh, you know, we're principal members of Visa and Mastercard, JCP, Union Pay, MS, Discover. Uh, we have a lot of access to the traditional payment networks, and we're just trying to connect that to the blockchain network. Right. So like I'm head of crypto here, uh, we're a team of five hundred. Uh, you know, we have e-money institutional license, payment institution license all around the world. We're taking care of the regulatory stuff uh, in order to maintain this payment stack and banking stack, on top of which now I'm responsible for building the crypto stack. Right, And the, connect, the key word here is network connectivity. Right. So how do you connect Visa to Ethereum? How do you connect, you know, uh, a banking system like ACH or Faster Payments to to solana right the connectivity between yeah. these private payment networks versus the public blockchain networks that's what i'm doing and roughly speaking you can think of it as like fiat to crypto right and yeah. i do put some emphasis on kind of our own go-to-market strategy which is to go after like kind of self-custody wallets because i personally believe in uh, self-custody so i don't really want to build tooling for you know traditional finance or even FinTech in a way, I really want to build tooling for kind of decentralized finance and non-custodial wallets, because I really believe that, you know, that's consistent with the ethos and the ethics of our ecosystem, and that we should okay. be helping to educate people onto the values and virtues of self-custody. So, you know, we're basically building payment tools for self-custody wallets to allow their users okay. or the world's users to onboard onto you know, this truly crypto-native ecosystem so that, you know, you can go from fiat to crypto to a self-custody wallet and then use a decentralized exchange instead of NASDAQ or use like a decentralized lending protocol, you know, instead of lending tree, right? So that you got got to transfer the value from the Web2 payment network to the Web3 blockchain network and to directly access Web3, right? You don't need an intermediary. You don't need a Bitcoin ETF. You can just use Web3. Right. You can you can directly right. access Web three by yourself in a self sovereign manner uh, and take hold of your own non financial assets as well as financial assets, All right? So we're basically building payment tooling for Web three.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there must be a hell of a lot of work to do, right? Like, because there's there's, there's there's this really like exploding crypto universe and it's it's like everything we've already been discussing right like there are these two universes and i suppose there are probably lots of companies like you guys that are trying to build these connections in between them right like i mean i don't know if you're perhaps doing it more comprehensively than others or maybe you know you've got different different emphasis than others um, but like i can imagine the surface area between these two worlds must be huge right and so there probably is quite a lot of opportunity for all sorts of different people to try and link up the wires in between right
1: absolutely right it's like every bank and payment company is looking at this and you know we talked about traffic as far as wall street and these investment firms or right? investment banks but you have regular banks yeah. right you have checking saving bitcoin right and you have regular payment companies that does you know card acceptance or bank transfers and crypto payments right so you know, it's or, or traditional finance has many subsectors, uh, you know, in terms of like investments and lending and payments and FX and banking and, and all these different tenants of finance. But, you know, we're, we're more on the kind of payment and banking side. And there's definitely a lot of players. You know, Stripe is building a very similar product to us, uh, you know, hmm. and a lot of payment companies, you know, it's, Visa is working directly with Circle on, on stable coin settlements, right? That's uh, huge. I mean, Visa is you know, arguably the biggest payment company in the world.
0: Uh, yeah. 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 Exciting times. Um, well, look, uh, that's, that's, uh, all of the, all of the questions I've got for you today, but look, thanks so much for, um, for, for everything today. I feel like it's been a really, really interesting and, and insightful, um, introduction to the, to the wild world of, of crypto and, and blockchain. Um, so, yeah, look, Jack, thanks so much for joining me. It's been great. Yeah.
1: For sure. Thanks so much, Tom. Complete tech. Well done, running baby. Complete tech. Well done, running baby. Complete tech. Well done, running baby.